Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. We're on the second last week. I have had such a great time studying for this. I'm just... Uh, I love Scripture. Who, who, who joins me on that? Who just... I mean, it's like... When we get to read Scripture, it's just this privilege. You know, the, the Bible, uh, you've got to understand that there is, there is blood all over this book. And not just Jesus' blood, but people's blood. People died so that you could have this today. People literally died, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people throughout the ages, in the past 2,000 years and even before that. People have died to keep this message alive because of the hope that's in it and because of the joy that's in it. And the book of James is just one of those books. If you don't know who James was, James was Jesus' half-brother. Okay, so he would have grown up with Jesus. Um, and he, he didn't believe in Jesus initially. This is the thing about James. In fact, James tried to stop Jesus in his early ministry. He actually literally went with his mum, Mary, and to a, to a place where Jesus was ministering. They were, they were a, a proper, like, Indian family. They had that one son who was bringing shame on the family, <laughs> which was Jesus, and they were about to stop him because they're like, you can't do this anymore because we have to suffer the results of all the society saying all of these things about me and, you know, because of you and what you're doing. That's what Mary and James did once, but James came to know that Jesus was God that Jesus was who he is, and, and eventually he's, he, he, he pastored a church, and this was a letter to that church. The church was in, who knows, Jerusalem. So this is a letter to Jewish people, Jewish culture, who would become believers in Christ. Did they lose their culture because they l- believed in Christ? No. Jesus is not about resetting anyone's culture. In fact, Jesus is about making culture better. I mean, what, what better than, than to think of a culture where people actually love each other? What better of a culture to think where people forgive one another? What better of a culture where, to, to think where there are, there are no people who are more important than others to God, but everyone is equal before the Lord and everyone is in need of the blood of Christ, right? God wants to enhance culture. He doesn't want to take it from you. So these Jewish people that he is preaching to... They are still culturally Jewish, but they are a part of the believers of Christ. They, they followed Jesus. Okay, so, so the question for these people is now that we are, now that we are believers, now that we believe in this, in this Jesus, how do we live our lives? And this book is actually a big part of the answer to that for these people. And you have to understand something, if you didn't already know this, if you haven't been coming over the last few weeks, I keep saying this because it's important when you read James to understand that these people were not going through a good time. They were going through a terrible time. They were going through the worst time of their lives. They were under trial. There were people who were trying to kill them. There were people who were trying to wipe them out. There were people who were not they weren't paying their bills to them. They, they, weren't, they weren't paying their wages. They couldn't get jobs because of they, they'd chosen to believe in this Jesus. So everyone had kind of turned their backs on them and all of a sudden they're in this trial. So, so James is giving them the truth they need in the midst of a trial. Who knows that in the midst of a trial, you need some truth. Yeah. 
Who knows that in the midst of a trial, it's not always great just to get a pat on the back and a nice little warm, you know, sort of, oh, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. That doesn't work. I need, I need something that's going to work, right? And the book of James is like that. That's why James, is, he's very direct. If you've been reading the book of James over the course of this series, if you've been in connect groups, there will be more. Who's had awkward moments where you're reading it and you're kind of like, wow, you're kind of heavy guy. Yeah, there's just been some like, oh, wow, okay. Oh, this is a little awkward, right? But that's good. Awkward is good. We're not about being all comfortable in church. We're about growing. And, and growth comes out of awkwardness. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's like we want comfort, but no, that's not going to grow you. It's those awkward moments where you're like, oh, I don't know if I feel good about this or not, or where God begins to grow you. Anyway, James chapter 5, verse 7 I'm going to go from. It's about a farmer, okay? I'm going to explain what that means in a moment, but let's read it and then uh, I'll explain it. Verse 7, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the, Lord, for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains, you too... Be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. You too, people who are reading this, just like a farmer, need to be patient because the Lord's coming is near. Now, this is uh, like an interesting kind of way that James is explaining how God moves in the midst of trial. How God actually works. Because when I pray in the midst of a trial, well, I don't know about you, but I want results like straight away. Anybody else with me on that? I'm like, God, I prayed yesterday that this would stop and it's still going. But what's up, God? Where are you? Right? But James, he's saying, no, 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 God is near, but you've got to be like a farmer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm uncomfortable with this. Why am I uncomfortable with this? Because has anybody had a try at growing plants? (laughs) Who's killed plants? (laughs) You know, we need some, (laughs) got plenty of animal rights activists. You know, dogs are for life and all that. And I agree, it's okay, don't worry, I'm not having a show. But we don't have any plants, lives, activists, you know. For all of those people who have gone to that nice store and said, oh, it's so green and look at the flowers and it's going to look amazing in my lounge room and, or that feature on my wall or whatever. And like two months later, it's dead. Like it's so dead, it's embarrassing, it's in the storeroom. You're like, maybe one day I'm going to get that thing happening. <laughs> Growing plants is hard. And fruit trees... Or, 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 or things that bear sort of fruit, like a farmer would, would, would farm rice, right? Yeah, I, don't even, I don't even understand. When I go through the countryside and I see those rice paddies, I don't even understand how that works. It's like, it just looks like water. And you see some guy up to his legs in water. It's like, who knows that farming is hard? If you want to grow stuff that, that produces something, it's hard. So James is saying... He's not giving like this 
kind of straight away, click your fingers in Jesus' name kind of thing and it's all going to change, okay? He's not, it's not like the Jesus magic wand here. This is like you've got a seed of faith that you planted and you've got to wait. You've got to wait. Who's uncomfortable with that? I'm uncomfortable with that. But you've got to see what happens for those who wait. You've got to see what happens for those who wait for God. You've got to understand that God is at work, even though it may not be in your way, He is still at work. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, it says this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh, will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Once again, we have this farming typology, this, this image of a farmer. Look at the person next to you and tell them, you're a farmer. You're a farmer. You're a sower. You're not a magician. Okay? There's no tricks here. Faith is not about tricks. You know, I've seen it, man, like on TV sometimes. It's like just, if you just give to this number right now, you know, um, and uh, if you just come put your hands on the TV, there's going to be some magic happened and uh, everything, all of your problems are going to go away because you gave to my ministry. That's not, I'm sorry, it's not how God works. It's not. God works in faith. God works in faith. God works in sowing. You reap when you sow. And who knows that reaping takes time. But there is a promise here that James gives. He says, be patient because God's at work. He's at work. Just be patient. Just wait. Just be like that farmer. Now, in the midst of waiting, who knows that the biggest difficulty in the midst of waiting on God is to take control. Oh man, I struggle with this one. In every way. I don't think I'm alone to say this, that, that when God is taking His time and the harvest is coming, but it's not as fast as I would like it to be, Who's gone and done something out of their own will? Thinking, you know what? I'm done with God. I'm not waiting for Him. We, we, we go for the controls, right? When things aren't going right, and this is why James is saying to these, this to these people in the midst of their trial. He's like, guys, wait. Be patient. God's at work. Don't go for the controls. You're going to mess it up. Because whoever, wrote, whoever, whoever sows to the flesh is going to reap of the flesh. So if you go and sow your flesh into something, and oh, I'm just going to make it happen myself, or you're going to reap a harvest of more of the trouble. And who knows that there's a bit of trouble with our flesh. As much as we try, we somehow end up doing the opposite of what we know we should do. We make rules for ourselves. We even make things like New Year's resolutions. By now, I'm sure you've broken a few of them. Oh, yeah, I'm going to control it. Listen up, yo. You can't even control yourself. How are you going to control this situation? We need God, right? We need to wait on Him. So, so, so that's the temptation. So we see this in James chapter 5. 
where there's some people that he's talking about. And, and I, I'm just going to preface before I go into this. this. This particular passage has been a bit of a hammer that people have used um, on people who may not be poor. Okay? So I, <laughs> uh, it's like, wow, you've, you've got money. Well, I'm just going to read to you James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. So I'm going to put you in your place because I'm poor and you're rich and you're better than me. So uh, I'm just going to put you in, the, in your place with the Bible right now. Okay, who knows? Anyone who's been around the church for a little while knows what I'm talking about, right? This is not what James is saying. This is why it's really important with the Bible that we discuss it every week. This is why I'm discussing the Bible. Why we go to Connect Group, we discuss it a little bit more. So we get to know what these guys are actually saying. He's not saying that it's wrong to be rich. But there were some rich people that were obviously doing some stuff to these guys that were wrong. And James is speaking to them. It's not that they were rich that was wrong. It was what they were doing. And what they were doing is, was actually they were controlling people with their money. That's what they were doing. Let me read it to you. Now listen, you rich people. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Feel so encouraged, James. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages. Now listen, you've got to hear this. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Once again, he's not having a shot at people who have a little bit of luxury. Who knows it's okay to have a little bit of a, you know, a Epsom salt bubble bath every now and again with a glass of champagne on the next day. It's all good. Bit of luxury sometimes. It's all good. Okay, there's nothing wrong. He's not having a shot at people who are uh, even, you know, it's okay to go to the fridge and have a little self-indulgence with some bit of chocolate. Not too much though, guys, okay? But, you know, you can have a bit of chocolate sometimes. Girls, it's, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Don't feel bad. It's like, oh, we're reading this. Oh, oh I feel bad. I've got my, I better throw away my nice bag and I better not eat chocolate anymore because I don't want to be in luxury and having self-indulgence. No, it's all good. That's not what he's saying. You have slaughtered yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. What is, he, what is he talking about? What he's talking about is these rich people had gone and used the money that they were meant to be paying their workers and gone and spent it on their Louis Vuitton bags, okay? And they'd gone and spent it on their, you know, nice shoes or whatever instead of paying their workers. They were withholding their, the pay that was due to the people that worked for them. Okay, And what James is saying is, is these people they have, that you haven't paid, they've cried out to the Lord and, I, and, and God's heard them. So it's like you've been sitting there stuffing your face with all of your indulgence right now and all you're doing is you're fattening yourself for the day of judgment like the Christmas turkey. It's coming. It's coming. That's what he's saying. It's a little bit different than the way we read this sometimes, isn't it? But you see, what you've got to see underneath this was the control. What does money do? Money does something to us 
all. It does something to me, it does something to us all. It tricks us into thinking that we can control. And let me tell you something. The moment we forget that God is in control, and the moment we, 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 we don't stop and look at how we are running our lives, because we may not be like these rich people who were in this story, who weren't paying their workers, but I, I was convicted when I was reading this. I was like, man, who is in my life that depends on me? And I sometimes use that power because it feels good, or sometimes I use that power because I've got that power, and I can. I sometimes don't think of how it is to be in their situation because I'm not in their situation and I think I'm better than them. It's a little convicting, I know, but just imagine a world where people are thinking of that instead of just forging on ahead, not thinking of others, right? You've got to understand something about God. God's heart is for the oppressed. God, God looks out, his, it's like His eye is on those who are oppressed. He, his eye is on the orphan. His eye is on the widow. That's where His eye is. His eye is on the single mum. His eye is on them. So when we get into a position where we're not seeing them anymore, when we're not using our wealth and remembering it, that they are in need, man, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And, and that's what James is saying. But it's interesting how when we are not sowing to God, just like here, we're sowing to some sort of control. That's what these people were doing. They were controlling people. I have found in my life, when I'm not trusting God, there is someone or something I'm trying to control. Who's with me? And that is where sin is. It ends up sinful. Because we aren't meant to control people, we're meant to love people. We're meant to love people, we're meant to be generous, we're meant to be giving hope. We're not meant to be taking, we're meant to be giving. And that was what was happening for these people. Now James, he says something interesting. Now if you, who knows something about gold? He says, he says this to them, he says, you know what, your, your gold is going to corrode. Your gold and silver, actually, says your gold and silver is going to corrode. Who knows this about gold? Gold doesn't corrode. So either James had never seen gold, or he was trying to say something to get these people's attention. He was a Jew. I'm sure James had seen gold. He had seen gold. So he was trying to tell them something. It's like, this thing that you're putting all your trust in is corroding because of your action. You think you can control people because you've got that? No, you cannot. In fact, he says, it's corroding to such a degree that it's going to testify against you. Now, that's weird. What's he talking about? He's talking about the day of judgment where it's going to come up that all those things that we have used our money for to control people is going to come up in the courts of heaven on judgment day. Now that is like, uh, he's saying all of this injustice, it's going, to, it's going to testify against you. And you're going to see, man, all that glitters sure is 
terrible on the day of judgment when I have used it for control. That's what James is saying. The other thing he talks about is the rich, uh, the, sorry, the, the linen, that the, your, your linen will have been eaten by moths. Who knows that the reason linen is a bit more expensive is because if you've got a wool jumper and a linen shirt, the, the bugs will normally go for the wool first and then they'll go for the linen a little. They do eat linen if it's dirty. You've got to wash your linen. <laughs> but they'll go first for other materials because it's easier to eat them. So, so he's saying, your gold is corroding, your linen, your fancy linen is going to be eaten by bugs because of what's coming, because you're not thinking through the control that you're taking. Instead of trusting God, you're actually trusting your finances. That's what he's saying. So here's, here's how it works, okay? The, these wealthy people that were doing this, they were wealthy landowners who had farmers on their... I think we still do this a bit in, in some parts of India. I forget the word. Panchaya like a wealthy panchai he's got all these farmers paying for and he's not giving them back the, the return that's what these people were right so these guys were controlling the wealth they were taking that wealth they were sowing to the flesh okay by abusing their workers and not paying them and then uh what what was happening is they were they were living in this luxury and self uh indulgence because of that what did they reap what did they reap as a result corroded gold corrosion what did they reap? They reaped corrosion. When you sow to the flesh, you sow to corrosion. The results you think you're going to get, you may get a glimmer, but they will be corroded. Have you ever gotten to a point where you have sowed to the flesh and you've kind of gotten what you were hoping for, but it's just there's been this other thing that you weren't counting on that's happened? It's like you got what you wanted, you, you controlled it way on the way, but then you got it, but then... It's kind, of, it's kind of like getting to your wedding day. You've, you've done the whole ceremony. Everything's prepared. And, uh, you know, but you're standing in front of your, your, the person you're about to marry and you realize they don't love you. You know, this, this is what's... It's like you, you've, you've given all your everything to this. The whole big dream. You've gotten to the day of judgment and you realize, oh man, oh gosh, I, oh, I, this hasn't worked out the way I thought it would. You know that feeling? It's an uncomfortable feeling. But this is what James is saying. When we, 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 you've got to understand this. This is the principle. We have power over what we sow. Okay? We have power over our seed. But we are powerless in what we reap. I want you to get this. You have power over what you sow. You have power over your seed. You know, God's given you a choice to sow what you want to sow. Oh, if it, I mean, this happens to be talking about money. If it's money, you have power to sow. But if, like these people these, who were doing what they were doing, you sow it to the flesh, you have no power over what's going to come up as a result of what you've sown to. You've got to understand something about how God works. He gives us a choice to sow. And what we reap as a result is on us. And He's given us the way. The way is to sow to the Spirit. He who sows to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit, right? 
He's told us what to do, but He's given us the choice of what we sow to. The thing that will cause you to, to sow not to God is this desire to control the harvest. You have no control over the harvest. We have no control. That's God's job. Do you ever know what's going to come up out of the ground? You never know. You just never know. There are so many things that could happen, that may happen. There are so many, the seasons, this, that, whatever. You can't control the harvest, but you can control the seed. The choice is with us, with what we sow. You get it? So, okay, what do we do? What gets produced for those who wait on God? What gets produced for those who sow to the Spirit? Well, it's, 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 if we preached about this, I'm going to repeat it because I think it's worth repeating. It's in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. He says, Consider it pure, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let your perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What does sowing to the Spirit do? Well, it produces something in you. This steadfastness, you know, this word, this perseverance, this word that James used, it means strength. It means staying power. Let me tell you something. I think there are some people in the world, I think it might be you and I, that need some staying power in the midst of trials. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, just have some faith. Just wait on God because God is producing something in you. Some staying power. You're going to make it. You're going to do this. It's going to happen for you. You are blessed in the name of Jesus. Can't control the harvest, but you can control the seed. What do we sow? We sow faith. What do we sow? We sow reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we sow? Is like we just go to the cross. We just go to the cross. We just keep going. We keep going. We keep sowing. And before you know it, you're going to reap a harvest. But you've got to understand something is that Jesus is actually putting up on the inside of you steadfastness, staying power. You've got to stop, you've got to stop praying this prayer, God, get me out of this. If you prayed that repeatedly and it's not stopping, then you might actually you might actually need to be where you're at. I'm, I'm not being mean here, and I know there are situations and circumstances where the world is actually broken. It's, it's, it, we are waiting for Christ to come back, and bad things happen to good people. I'm not saying that, but there are situations and circumstances where we are constantly crying out to God, God, please let it stop, please let it stop. And He's like, no. But He is giving us steadfastness he's giving he's actually strengthening you and you know it's like god i want to be a stronger person i want to be a stronger person he's like okay well i'm going to start to make you strong it's like a you know person going to a uh, a physical trainer uh, uh like a, a trainer you know a personal trainer saying like, i want to be stronger i want to i want to build up my core fitness and he starts to do things like Squats, you know, yeah, squats. Who loves squats? Nobody loves squats, okay? Don't lie. I mean, if you love them, there's something wrong with you, okay? <laughs> they are the worst things in the world. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> it's like, no, I don't want to do squats. Okay, uh, all right. Uh, well, well, how about some burpees? You ever done burpees? There's a reason why those things are called burpees, because they make you... <laughs> After a while, you do too many of them. It's like, oh, I'm going to... Okay. No, I don't want to do burpees. Okay, all right. Time for a plank. You've done a plank. Oh, I don't want to do a plank. There's going to come a point where your, your physical trainer is going to say, you ain't going to get any core fitness unless you do some core exercises. And this is the same with God. God, make me a stronger person. Okay. Time for some squats. Oh, I hate squats. I want to watch Netflix. I want to just be comfortable. No, 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 no. It's time to stop all of that. It's time to get... You know, it's like God isn't about comfort. He's about growth. Okay, now he gets a little uh, full on here because he starts talking about Job. James starts talking about Job. Okay, and uh, anybody read the book of Job? Oh, man, the book of Job is one of those books. I just, I just read it and I go... I don't get it. I still don't get it. I, I still, like, God still speaks to me, and it's okay, guys, all right, when the Bible does that to you. Who gets confused by the Bible sometimes? You read it, and you're like, I just, what, the, what is this? I mean, and the book of Job is one of those books. But you see something about how God works in this book. And so James, in um, chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, okay, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he's talking to Jewish people. They would have known, you know, oh, they would have thought of Elijah, Elisha. They would have thought of Abraham. They would have thought of Moses. All of these people, all Nehemiah, all of these prophets, Isaiah, they would, they would have come to mind. So they're like, okay. And, and then he says in verse 11, uh, as, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. There's that word again, steadfast. You have heard of Job's perseverance. Like, ah, oh, why did you mention Job? Of all the people is Job. You have to talk about Job. And have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In Job chapter 1, there's this day that Job has, which is pretty much the worst day where anybody could ever have. I mean, I'm to, and I'm talking like on atomic levels. Like, so he's, he's sitting there. It says he was doing really well. Life was good for him. Like, you know, he, he was earning money on his money. He got into that position, um, and he was doing good, man. He's had a great family, had a, and, and he had all of these servants, okay? And uh, these servants start to come. One comes from one field and says, um, well, um, well uh, sorry, Job, but um, there was a fire that broke out, and your whole f- all your daughters just got killed, and your son, they all just got killed. And uh, then there was another servant that came from another part and said uh, there was an accident and all of your stock, all your livestock got killed and wiped out. All of your wealth is gone. And then another thing, and, and it gets to a point where his wife says to him, Job, you ought to curse God and die. Things are so bad. I mean, he's a good wife, huh? <laughs> She's basically saying, Job, it's time for you to commit suicide. I'm done with you. Everyone else is done with you. Even God's done with you. So curse him and die. Okay? That's what happened with Job. And this, this test on Job was the test of whether or not Job would curse the name of God and turn his back on God in the midst of a trial. That's what the whole book is about. And, and, and it's crazy. The book is amazing because he has these three friends. Okay? These three friends, they come and they say things like, oh, it's because you did this and because you didn't do that and because you did this and all of these. They, they've got all of their good reasons. And if you've ever read the book of Job and opened it up on the pages where those friends are talking, 
they're actually sort of saying kind of cool stuff, like you would think was right, but it's not right, right? It's just stuff based on their opinions. But Job holds on. He curses the day he was born. He says, I curse the day I was born, but he never curses God in the midst of his trial. And that was a whole test. And it says here what, what happens for those who wait in Job chapter 42, verse 10 to 17. Can I read it to you? After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone's who had known him before, came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. It's all right. That's some nice friends. I'm going to talk to those friends. Okay. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Did you just hear that? What happens for those who wait? The Lord blessed... So you, you've got to understand this. Anyone ever thought, man, I, I'm just wasting my life on these trials. I just, man, I'm getting old and I'm getting on and it's just nothing seems to be going right. I'm just, it's just always wrong. And The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kezia, the third, I don't know what he happened with his, the third name, <laughs> Karen Hapuch, poor girl. Okay, nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful, well, she was good looking, so it made up for it, okay, made up for a funny name. <laughs> Sorry, it's been silly. Um, nowhere in the land there were found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. That means he had a lot, because you normally just gave the inheritance to the son. It wouldn't be enough for the daughter. But, that, I mean, that was a, a bit sexist back then. Okay. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died. An old man full of years. Oh, I just love that. I love that. I, I challenge you to read the whole book. You know, but what happens for those who wait on God, it's through the Bible, what He promises. He might be putting you through some stuff right now where you, are, you need to go through it because God is building steadfastness in you. You are growing as a result. But don't make the mistake of taking control and saying, you know what, I'm done with God and His ways. I'm going to go and do my own thing because that was the thing that Job never did. That's the message of Job. That's the message that James is trying to remind his readers of. In the midst of your trials, guys, do not turn your back on God. He's at work. It's going to happen. Just wait. You're a farmer. You're not a magician. You're a farmer. It takes time. So what do we have to do? What do we have to do? Well, the rich, what do they have to do? The rich controllers in this story, what do they have? Well, they have to weep and wail because of what's coming. That's what they've got to do. But what can we do as the farmers? Well, we, first thing, James chapter 5, verse 7, that we can do is be patient. Be patient. James chapter 5, verse 7. Let me read it to you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield, 
its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Second thing James says is in verse um, 9 that we've got to, he gives a few don'ts in the midst of trial, okay? But he says this, he says, in the midst of your trial, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is there standing at the door. Who knows that when things are difficult and hard and yucky and aren't going right, what's the first thing we go and do? Or we just go and start grumbling, oh, rah, 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 you know, like, saying don't do that. Don't be tempted. Why? Because that is a form of control. If you think about it, it's a form of control. Oh, things are out and they're doing this. And it's like, no, no, just stop. Don't grumble about it. Don't, don't, don't go about and do that. And then, so, so be patient. Don't grumble. And then the third thing he says, verse 12 actually says, um, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. <laughs> I've used this scripture for... Uh, for all sorts of things, particularly one of the areas that I have used it for is when I um, say, okay, I'm having a dinner at my house and uh, I'm inviting a group of people and people say, uh, yeah, okay, well, I, I'll try and make it. Now, in this culture, I've learned if someone's trying to make it, that means they're not coming. Does anybody else know what I'm saying? right? It's like, I don't want to lose face by saying no to you, so I'm just going to say, well, you know, uh, let me see, I'll see if I can come. That means you're not coming. So I'm like, okay, they're off the list, right? <laughs> I've used this scripture, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's not, I mean, look, it's probably not the best idea to do that, but if you do it, I'm not going to hold you accountable to it. But listen, uh, what James is saying here is, he's actually saying, before God, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's saying, don't bargain with God here. Have you ever said to God, God, if this changes, I swear, I swear, God, that I'm going to bring my mother to church. You know what I'm saying? Oh, God, if this situation changes, well, I promise you, God, that I'm going to put all of this money that I'm going to earn in the offering. <laughs> don't swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. God, you're a farmer. You don't have to be going and bargaining with God. You don't have to be bargaining. He's got you. That's what James is saying. Oh, now, who just got a little bit convicted? I did too when I said that. Don't bargain with God. Let your yes be yes to God. Let your no be no to God. That's it. Simple. It's a simple relationship. Okay? He's got you. He's got your future worked out. He is the Lord of the harvest. I said, He's the Lord of the harvest. He's got you. You don't have to bargain with Him. Because, I mean, the thing is, you might swear to God something and promise something to him and the Lord does something completely different and you can't fulfill what you promised him. And, the, and James goes on and says, well, that's, that's actually otherwise you will be condemned. That's, that's sin. When you make a promise to God and you can't fulfill it, so don't make promises to God you can't fulfill. Right? Just wait for the harvest. Keep sowing, you farmer. God's got you. Amen? Be patient, don't grumble against each other, don't swear, don't, don't you start bargaining with God. And then the fourth one is Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. I'm going to end with this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Simple, just don't give up. 
just don't give up. You keep sowing. Keep trying to start your day with, with, with this. Just keep. I, I, you, might be, you might have gotten totally out of whack and you, you started getting out of sync with, you know, you, you start, you, you're meant to start with the Bible, but you ended up starting with WhatsApp, you know, or Instagram, or you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm totally out. Of, it's, been, it's been 13 weeks and I haven't. It's okay. You come back to the cross, get started again. You're a farmer. You've got to keep sowing. You've got to keep sowing to the Spirit. You want to reap a harvest of the Spirit, you've got to understand this, guys. This is how the kingdom of God works. So do the Spirit. Don't ask God to change the harvest, okay, when nothing has been sown to the Spirit. Don't, don't be like, oh, I need the harvest. This is what's come up. I need it to change. No, you're reaping of what you've sown. You understand? But today you can start sowing the right thing. You can start sowing to the Spirit. And in time, things will begin to change. That's how God works. So, sow with prayer. Sow with, sow with the Word of God. Sow with community, with other believers. Get together into the connect group. Start sowing you're going to find that over time you're going to reap a harvest. Don't isolate yourself. Farmers who stay isolated. You know, I've, I've been to farming towns in, a, in Australia. I had some friends who used to board at my school who owned, I mean, in Australia, farms are gigantic. They're not like here. They're different. You own, like these farmers will own planes and stuff because they're just to go over their, their land and all of that sort of stuff. But the community in farming towns is beautiful. It's like the best. Everybody knows, even though they, they live hundreds of miles from one another, they know each other really well because they know how important it is that they need each other. Farmers need each other because it's hard. We've got to get around Christ. We've got to remind each other that we need to get back to Him. Don't isolate yourself. If you're going through a trial, the last thing you need to do is isolate yourself. Open up. Get into a group and wait. Amen? C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at c3mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi.